0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to start with one of my favorite stories in all of everything. How's that? And and I just found out, after years and years of telling this story and, and saying, you know, I, I wish I knew the rabbi that did this, but I, I finally know. It is about the the altar of Navaradik. Now, Nevardic was this radical school of Torah, a very amazing approach, similar in many ways to Kutsk. You know, Kutsk was all about this unbridled search for the truth, and it was just everything had to be like ultra, ultra real. And Navardic was was similar in that you couldn't be afraid. You couldn't be, you couldn't stop yourself from doing the right thing because you were afraid of what other people would think. And they would give these amazing exercises in within this this you know the Torah Academies of Navaradik to their students to train them to not be overly sensitive to what other people think about you. So one of the exercises that you would do is you would you would go into a I don't know, like a butcher shop. I'm not, and and you would ask to buy a bag of nails, like they don't sell nails in a butcher shop. You have to go into a hardware shop for that. And so, so the the person behind the counter would like yell at you. What are you like an idiot? Like what's the matter with you? And and so by exposing yourself to to just someone just kind of like just like yelling at you, like what a what a fool you are you became sort of like, well, today we have a term for that. It's called exposure therapy. Exposure therapy means that when you're afraid of a certain type of thing, that you slowly allow yourself to experience that. And the net effect is that once you realize what it is, you're not afraid of it anymore, because you realize that you've sort of like built up this mental fear <clears throat> this irrational fear of something, but that when you're <clears throat> actually in touch with it, you realize, well, I it was, I just made a you know a mountain out of a molehill. Like like I'm not afraid of this any anymore. Now there, there there's a story that 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 I love that. My father told me, he told it to me you know, many, many years ago, and as an old joke, so this is going back. And, and my dad was a psychologist, and, and so this is about irrational fear, since that's what we're talking about right now. So, so there was a, a little boy, and he was afraid of Kreplach. So what's kreplach? These are like Jewish wontons, right? It's like a little piece of meat, you know, like ground beef or something like that. And you, you, you put it in some dough and then you kind of roll up the dough around the meat and, and you have like a, a kreplach. Anyway, this, this boy is terrified of kreplach. So the, the doctor tells the mom, you know, if, if he sees what goes into making it and you demystify kreplach for him, he, he, he's going to be fine. So she takes him to the marketplace and he, 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 she's buying flour and she says, are you okay? And he says, yes. And she's buying the meat, are you okay? He says, yes. And then she gets home and she makes a, you know, the dough out of it. And then she puts the meat in the middle and she folds one corner of it. And she says, is everything okay? He says, yes. She folds the second corner, everything's okay. The third corner, she says, are you fine? He says, yes. And now she folds the final fourth corner and he looks at it and goes, Kriplach! So sometimes something can be demystified for you completely and you're still terrified. Why? Because it's just totally irrational. But the good news is exposure therapy works. And, and, And oftentimes you'll realize that this thing that you were afraid of when you actually... See it and experience it and allow yourself to experience it under very safe, controlled, um, you know, circumstances, then, then, then it's nothing. Now, by the way, this is at the root, I think, psychologically speaking, of an etza, a bit of holy advice that our rabbis give about if there's a mitzvah that for whatever reason you have like a mental block against. Now, here's the counterintuitive advice. Because if I'm afraid of this mitzvah, whatever it is, like I feel like, ah, if I do this mitzvah, see, a lot of people, let's get deep for a moment. A lot of people feel as though I can't take on the mitzvahs. You know why? If I take on the mitzvahs, existentially speaking, I'm going to disappear. I will no longer be there anymore. My, 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 uniqueness, my sense of self, is going to be obliterated by the uniformity of the mitzvahs. I will no longer exist, and I will become some sort of, you know, holy robot. And nothing could be further than the truth, from the truth. What the mitzvahs are doing is harnessing your uniqueness and channeling them in a harmonious way that's going to be harmonious with your own soul and harmonious with the universe itself. So, so it's actually, the, the mitzvahs are the, the ideal, perfect vehicle to lend coherence to your uniqueness. And the example that I heard that I always like to give, because I, I don't think you can say it better than this, is one of the thickest volumes of the entire Talmud is Gomorrah Sukkah. And, and, you know, it's going to teach you how to make a sukkah, and there are many, many halachas how to do it. So you think there's so many halachas going into making a sukkah that every sukkah, if it's kosher, if it's built properly, must look the same way. And yet, what do we find? Anyone who's been around a lot of sukkahs before knows every single sukkah looks different. Which is amazing, because how can it be that there can be so many halachas and yet the end product reflects the individuality of the person themselves. And so that is the beauty of Torah, is that it harmonizes, but it doesn't eliminate your individuality. Very, very important. Okay, so now, what's this bit of holy advice that seems counterintuitive and, and is in line with the psychology of exposure therapy? How does it work? Well, learn the halachas of the mitzvah that you don't want to do. <laughs> learn the halachas of the mitzvah that you fear. Okay? And you know what's going to happen if you do it? You're going to find out, oh, that's all there is to it? <laughs> I thought that it was kind of like this nuclear bomb that's going to absolutely vaporize my, my individuality and sense of self. And yet, it's just, you, you will realize that it is, it is not that. And one of the things, again, counterintuitively, that you're going to realize is that it's not as strict as you thought it was. See, because what happens is one of the things that our inner resistance, our Yetziraharas do is it mixes emotion and it mixes fear in with our intellect. And so we begin to expect the worst. And then when we see the actual thing written in black and white, we realize, oh, that's not so bad. And then once you acquaint yourself with what the actual reality is, then you have to understand that you can just take on part of it, right? You just then go slowly within it. You don't have to take it all on at once. Sometimes it's better if you want something to be long lasting, is you take it on incrementally. So it's not just all the mitzvahs themselves that you take on incrementally, but each individual mitzvah, you can break up into different parts and then take each individual mitzvah on incrementally. So, for instance, for those people who it's like Shabbos, "Ah, how can I do 25 hours of Shabbos? But maybe you can start Friday night. Okay, so Friday night, I'm not going to go out. Right Friday night, I'm going to make a dinner. I'll invite people or whatever it is. I'll make something nice. And then you make, you know, a beachhead, so to speak, right? You make a, you make a first step into the mitzvah itself. And then things began to, to go from there. And, and, and that's the way to go about it. This is how, this is how we do it. So now, with that in mind, let me get back to this, this story. So, so Navaradik, this is from the altar of Navaradik. And, and he was teaching his, his students to, to, Expose themselves to exposure therapy before it was called that, right? By by allowing allowing a person to to appear ridiculous before other people, so that they can get yelled at and then realize, you know, something. It's not such a big deal to get yelled at. Okay. So how does the story go? So the altar of Navardic was learning with some some tamidim, with with some of his students, and and they were trying to figure out. Whether it was whether they should do a particular mitzvah or not, and then at a certain point, he he loaded them all into a a, a carriage into a wagon, and they went to the, the the neighboring town where 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 they were debating whether or not to do this mitzvah, and once they were in the neighboring town, they they realized ah. We shouldn't do the mitzvah. <laughs> and the students asked the their Revi, the, the altar of Navardich, they asked him we why did you load us in a wagon and drive us all the way to the to the place in order to continue the discussion? And now listen to this. This is awesome. The altar of Navardic says, because I was afraid that laziness was entering into our thinking that the reason why we didn't have clarity when we were discussing it originally was because no one wanted to make the trip and that that laziness was actually affecting our clarity of thinking and now that we're at the town where laziness is no longer a factor because we can do it right away and it's not a problem whatsoever now we've eliminated that factor from our thinking. And now that we're thinking clearly, we know what to do. And the the irony or the beauty of it is they decided that it wasn't the proper thing to do. And then they got back into the wagon and drove home. Right. But now, now they had eliminated laziness from their thinking. Now, let me tell you why I'm telling you this story. Because... I want to use this as a, a launch pad, as a springboard, as a trampoline, if you will, to really discuss the ultimate redemption. And you might be wondering, well, well, what's the connection? What's the connection? And I'm going to tell you the connection. You You can make many, many different categories and divide up things into, you know, however you like. You can make your own systems. But I would like to suggest one system right now. And, and this system would be really divided between two main areas of avodas Hashem, you know, divine service. The first area would be, say, the 613 mitzvot themselves. Okay? So, for instance, on Sukkot we shake a lulav and esrog. It's a big mitzvah. This is a very big mitzvah. It's really once a year, midaraisa, according to the Torah. We shake it for every day of, of, of sukkahs, and, and, and there's a, a, a mitzvah to that as well. But really, the, the essence of it is, is that first day of sukkahs to shake the lulav of an esrik. Okay. And there's 612 other examples of what I'm talking about here. I'm just using that for some reason as, as an example. Okay. That's one category. The, the practical mitzvahs themselves. But then there's another realm of Torah. And that realm of Torah is your personality. Shaping and and creating something beautiful out of who you are as a person. Not just the things that you do, but the person who you are. And that's very much a realm of the Torah as well. Not only is it very much a realm of the Torah itself, but it really gets into the essence of the redemption itself. And let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, I don't know of any source that says that if, all, if every Jew on the first day of Sukkot shakes the lulav and that Mashiach will come. It could be, by the way. But I don't, I personally don't know of a source that says that. But I do know of a source that says, do you know why the redemption hasn't come yet? Because we're hating each other for no reason. Now, what category Of the two categories that I just laid out for you, which category does that fall in? Does that fall into keeping kosher better? Again, only great things will happen from it. Does it happen from some other mitzvah? This is really the realm of the area of the Torah of beautifying and fixing yourself. Not hating other people for, for no reason. Now, I once heard Rabbi Shalom, or Rav Avraham Yeshua Heschel, say that we have to turn our lives into art. You know, imagine every single person is a different bundle of energies, which we are, by the way. We're all these different wavelengths and combinations of energies. Each one of us is different. You know, have you ever seen blown glass? How like it just has different colors and different patterns creeping. Each one of us is like blown glass. We're all different combinations and different colors. By the way, Kabbalistically speaking, all the different energies have different colors assigned to them. So we're really these different works of art. But, you know, I think we all know there's good art and not great art. <laughs> not only is there not great art, but there's some stuff that you just don't even want to look at because it's just, it's ugly. I hate to use a word like that, but that's, that's what it is. And then you've got other, you know, someone else uses the exact same colors <laughs> and the exact same brush strokes. And make something that is transcendent. You look at it and your spirit soars. Well, that is this amazing project that we're doing right now, which is what are you doing with the paintbrushes? What are you doing with the colors? What are you doing with the materials that God is giving you? What are you making Of yourself. What does it look like? You know, I was once walking down the street. I remember it was in Manhattan. It was on the Upper West Side. It was on one of these streets, residential streets that was lined with brownstones. And it was a beautiful day. And there was this couple walking toward me, right? I was by myself. I was walking one way. The two of them were walking toward me. And it was a man and a woman, and the woman had her arm around the man. And the man was speaking quietly into her ear, and she couldn't get close enough. And, and he just was taking in every single word of what he was saying. And I thought to myself, man, I don't know what that is, but that's some good radio going on, <laughs> whatever he's broadcasting. That is, she is listening. She is listening 10,000%. And and then I thought to myself, man, each one of us is broadcasting. But what are we broadcasting? Are we broadcasting? When you speak, is it the type of stuff that people are leaning closer? Or is it like they're like running to turn off the volume? Because it's like, nah, I can't, you know, I love you, but I can't. Just can't. Can't. So again, all of us are making creations out of ourselves. And how do we do it? And this is where the Torah really gets deep. Because you know, when a when a when a child not to pick on children here but objectively speaking when a child makes art it's sweet <laughs> but no one's putting it in a museum okay you can put it on the museum of your refrigerator and that's that's special also but without getting too tough right now let's just talk objectively speaking right in other words in other words there's a certain craft that comes. A certain level of mastery of action that comes, that reflects beauty at a certain point. And you can see something very, very deep about the mitzvot themselves. The, the mitzvot themselves marry intention and form. tsura and Chomer, if you want to get a little technical, the soul of something and the body of something. And it harmonizes those things. So that when you look at a person who's doing something beautiful, what you have there in the act of say, giving charity in a beautiful way is the marriage of form and essence. It's beautiful on the outside because it's helping someone and it's beautiful on the inside because you're channeling sincerity and you're you're channeling soul in a harmonious way because the mitzvot are teaching how to channel soul in a way that reflects ultimate beauty and ultimate harmony in the world. And so you become a more beautiful piece of art. You are transforming these energies, these tools, these colors that are inside of you in a way that is museum quality, that is ultimately beautiful. Now I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. It says in the Piskei Sharem, this unbelievable Kabbalistic work by Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaber, He says, do you know how Shadim and Mazikim and Klippot, these would be translated as demons, right? All the negative energies of the world. Do you know how these things are birthed into the world? So, so now listen. Let's take a, step, a couple of steps back now, okay? I can look at myself in the mirror and I'll see flesh, bone. You know, I know inside me is blood. So I'm very much a material being. And that's true, that is true. And when I'm born into the world, I'm like something that can be held Right? I, I exist on this physical entity. But on a much deeper level, each one of us are repositories of energy. Each one of us are different combinations, unique combinations of different wavelengths and energies that have bund- been bundled together and exist as this coherent entity in the world. And that's, that's another way of looking at yourself, not just as a physical being, but as a repository of energies. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you a question. I'll give you the answer. Tell you what the Pisgai Sharan. Pisgai means the opening of the gates, right? So he's talking about the most exalted, exalted concepts, starting from the very initial moments of creation itself. So we know that all of these energies are coming down, that God is, is radiating, is, is emanating, all of these energies. And he's combining them together and he's creating the world. But do you know what the ultimate last vessel of all of the energies, of all of the worlds are? Let me ask it again, because this is intense. This is intense. When you hear this, you're going to have more clarity in terms of understanding the world. What when we talk about simsum all of these energies kind of coming together from from the form of divine energy into ultimate materiality. Do you know what the ultimate vessel is, the final stopping point of all of these energies are? Well, you could say if you know a little kind of holy vocabulary, maybe you'll say Malchus. Right, which is the name of this dimension that we're in. That's the final vessel that all these energies go in. Okay, that wouldn't be a bad answer. He's going to say something deeper. Or maybe you'll say it's Ola Messiah." Again, that's another Kabbalistic term for this dimension that we inhabit. And is sort of like the bottom dimension that's holding all the higher energies. Again, that would be a very educated answer, but that's not what he says. Here's the answer. The human being, the human being is the final vessel that's holding all of these divine energies from the very, very top of creation that are all coming down, all coming down into this world. The human being is the final resting place of all of these energies. Now, that's amazing. And what I would ask you to visualize is, imagine all of these cables coming into you. All these energy, like all these energy cables, which are transferring these energies. Imagine that you are connected to all of these energies. Now it makes sense because, you know, we say in terms of spiritual anatomy, we say that a person is made out of 613 parts, and those 613 parts parallel or correspond to the 613 mitzvot, and that the entire world is made out of the mitzvah. So it makes sense that each person would be the vessel and the culmination of all of these different energies. So again, imagine these kind of cables coming down into a person. Now, when that happens, you're plugged in. That's that's a great place to be. You're completely plugged in and you're harmonizing right, with the entire universe. So remember what we say. We say that each person is a miniature of the whole cosmos. And now I'm giving you a different visualization for how each person is a miniature for the entire cosmos. Because you yourself, who are 613 different parts, have these 613 cables, right, plugged into you, going all the way up to the first highest point of creation itself. And all of these energies are coming into you. Okay, beautiful. Now, what are we coming to answer how are Shadim, how are demons, how are destructive spiritual forces made? Now, now that you've got the visual, listen to what the Pisgah Sharm is saying. When a, when a person... Well, I'm going to give you one more visual to help you first. Imagine I have a heavy duty, heavy-duty electrical cable plugged into a car. Okay, like one of these electric cars. So that's that's a lot of that's a thick cable, and that's a lot of energy going in. Because remember, we've got to charge a battery, and that battery's got to go for two hundred miles, and it's got to be able to do you know sixty miles an hour, something like that. So that's that's a serious that's a serious cable that's going to deliver all of that energy. Now imagine I take a very very sharp knife. And I cut the cable in the middle, right? While it's all plugged in. (laughs) Do you know what's going to be those wires that are now exposed? Do you know what that's called? That's called a live wire. Now, depending on how much energy is surging through that cable, if I touch those live wires, that exposed cable, do you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be electrocuted. Because that energy is no longer grounded. That energy is no longer connected. Is that clear? Now imagine this. Each person is the final vessel, is the final repository of all of these energies coming down into the world. Now the Pischa Sharm says that when someone throws off the all Machu Shemayim, which means when someone let me explain what the Om Shemayim is. That is when a person with kavana, with holy intention, sees themselves as the connecting point to bring heaven down to earth. See what is the Om Shemayim? The Om Shemayim says, I understand that what I am is someone who's attached to heaven. And wherever I go, bringing heaven down with me. (laughs) That's what it means to accept the Machus Shemaim. And by the way, the formal, you can do it any time that you like, but the official time to do it is when you say Shema Yisrael. When you talk about the oneness of God, that's the same time that you're saying that, and I as an aspect of that oneness am going to be a conduit, a vehicle through which to bring heaven down into earth. And of course, the letters, the first letters of Shema, Shema is Shin, Mem, Ayin. If you go backwards, Ayin is Ol, Mem is Malchus, Shin is Shemaim. Backwards, Shema spells Ol, Malchus, (laughs) Shemaim, meaning to say that when I talk about the oneness of God, I am taking on it upon myself to be an emissary of the oneness of God. So now... Now listen to what the Piskei Sharm says. What about someone who decides that they want to throw the ol machu off of themselves? What about someone who wants to take a knife and to cut those cables that are connecting the above into them? Do you understand using our visual how all of a sudden these cables are now becoming live wires and becoming damaging forces. Almost, imagine them moving around. They they almost look like snakes, don't they? Like the Nachash from the Garden of Eden, the snake from the Garden of Eden. All of a sudden you've got all these wires like, or one big wire, whatever it is, flying around. And anyone who touches it is going to get hurt and he says that's how demons are made in this world isn't that fascinating isn't that fascinating now you've got like on the energy level you've got a whole model and you have got a whole view of how it happens so what's the antidote what's the fixing the fixing is to reconnect and and there's something very beautiful about it. reconnecting the cables i'm trying to make a holy distinction which i think is a very sympathetic distinction to our humanity and to our fallibility and everything like that which means that it doesn't mean that i'm perfect when i connect when i accept the O'mah Hushamayim. it doesn't mean that i'm doing everything maybe that I'm supposed to be doing. But what I'm doing is acknowledging that there is a source. And I'm acknowledging that there is a Hashem who has a desire for his creation. And that as a created being, as a child of Hashem, as a emanation of Hashem's light that I am, I'm acknowledging that source. And if I'm doing that, then even if I'm not doing absolutely everything perfect, I am taking upon myself the ol And so, so even amidst my imperfection, I am still grounded and I am still plugged in and I am not creating these negative forces on the on the level that someone who, you know, cuts themselves off is creating them. So so again let me make sure that I'm communicating. Every time that we make a mistake we're not necessarily creating these forces that I'm talking about. If we take upon ourselves just this acknowledgement that there's one above us and that he has dreams for us remember what Reb Shlomo calls the mitzvot, he says that that those are God's dreams for humanity and God's prayers for humanity. And that when you do the mitzvot, you're dreaming God's dreams and you're praying God's prayers. Do you hear that? When you do the mitzvot, you're dreaming God's dreams and you're praying God's prayers. And, and that's, 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 the, that's the idea. That's what it means to be connected. To be connected doesn't mean never to make a mistake. You know, I think it's, it's really important to know the definition of what a tzaddik is, according to Shlomo HaMelech, right? He's called the, the wisest of people, King Solomon, right? The son, the son of King David, and the one who the messianic line goes through. Remember, David had many, many children, but it goes from King David to King Solomon, right? That's, that's, that's important to know. And Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon said, A tzaddik, right, a holy righteous one, is someone who falls down seven times and gets back up. So seven, you know, is the language of this world. It doesn't just mean, you know, seven as opposed to eight or, right? Seven individual times. It doesn't mean that. Seven times basically means he never stops falling down. (laughs) Or up to included, never stopping falling down, right? Hopefully we're making improvements over the course of our lifetime. but, But it includes, it includes everyone is the point. And... And if you had asked me, what's the definition of a righteous person? I would have told you, someone who never makes a mistake. So here you see something awesome. Shlomo Melech says, the righteous person is defined, you ready? Is defined not by their perfection, but by their never giving up. By their constant rededication of themselves. By the fact that they keep on knocking at the divine gates and say, Hashem, I'm not going to stop. I'm never going to stop trying to attach myself to you. I'm never going to stop. I'm not going to stop. That that itself is tzitkis. That itself is righteousness. That's the essence of it. That desire to draw close and to never wanting to stop drawing close. This idea that, you know, You kind of either get it right or you get it wrong. And if you get it wrong, then you're a loser. And, you know, let's go on without you. It's not Torah. This is not Torah. This is what the dark forces within ourselves tell us to try to get us to give up. But it's made up. It's not Torah. Remember, in Torah, you know like in AA they talk about falling off the wagon. But in Torah, if you fall off the wagon, you always fall onto another wagon. <laughs> there's, because we have this mitzvah of chuva. Tshuva means to reconnect. So so if if a person like you know there's certain mitzvahs in the Torah and I I love this. I love this. Listen carefully there's certain mitzvahs in the Torah that you can't keep unless you break other mitzvahs in the Torah. Do you know that? One of the 613 mitzvahs is to return something that you stole. But how do you keep that mitzvah unless you stole something, which you're not supposed to do? By by Pesach, it says, it says when we were leaving Egypt, right, that you're supposed to eat the whole you know, the, the Korban Pesach, that, that, that special offering that you would bring. Like your family would eat it together. The group of people would eat it together. And it says, don't leave anything over from it. Right? Any of the meat. Don't leave anything over. And then it says, if you left something over, <laughs> it's called sir. Then burn it the next day. Now, how do you keep the mitzvah of sir? unless you broke the mitzvah of, of leaving something over? Do you understand? If you fall off the wagon, there's always another wagon to fall back onto. Because God is absolutely everywhere. And if you're alive, that's proof that you're still needed. You say, well, I've now made myself useless through my giving up or my string of, you know, just... Misfires. But if you're saying those words at all, it's not true because you're alive to say them. <laughs> and if you're alive, then that means there's still opportunities ahead. You can reverse any energy. And now when I want to tell you something like so deep, so deep that it just, it blows my mind, okay? We know that God created the world through the energies, through just like divine energies. And remember, God, God so to speak, took his outer garment of light and then created the whole universe with it. That, that's, an, that's an important distinction because, you know, someone taught me this fancy word, which is uh, panentheism? I have no idea what it means, but apparently that's the <laughs> that is the academic word that describes what I'm about to tell you. Panentheism is different from pantheism. See, see, there are those who say basically God is the world, and the world is God, and you know nature is God, and God is nature, and everything like that, and. It's, you know, it's a step in the right direction, but it's not Torah. Torah is much deeper than that. Torah says God fills, saturates all of reality and exists dimensions beyond. Okay, so that's why it's important when we say that God took his outer garment of light and then created the world with all the divine energies that he then combined for. Do you understand? That, that, that's important because if God took his, the entirety of himself and then made the world, then you would say the world equals God and God equals the world. But we're not saying that. We're saying that God is so beyond. He's, he fills the world and is beyond, 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 beyond. Okay? Now, with that in mind, when God takes his outer garment of light, that is the shorish, that is the, the root energy of what now is going to become the Hebrew letters. Because different wavelengths of that initial energy is now going to become the letters. First, it's going to become the tip of the yud, of the ke. And then it's going to become the Yudke Vavke. And then all the letters and everything and all the dimensions are going to flow from those energies. They're all energies. But this is before they're even letters. These are the, the roots of the roots of the roots of the roots of all the letters. When it's just divine light. But eventually, it's going to become the universe. This outer garment. Now listen to this. We know it happens with the letters, but you wanna hear something wild? It starts with the letter tough, and it ends up with the letter aleph. It goes in reverse order, not, in the, not, not, not from olive to tough. It goes from tough to olive. Now, one thing that we can learn from that is what we learned earlier that what is the ultimate repository of all of the energy? The human being. Which means that you become the Aleph, right? And how the bottom part then, you, is totally connected to the top part, because Aleph stands for Hash- And you have a divine soul, which is what? A piece, a piece of God. It's an aspect of the Aleph, right? And remember, the Aleph is the upper Yud and then the lower Yud. So, you know, there it is, man. But now, let's go even deeper. You see, how can I fix my past? I want to fix my past. You see, because I know so much more now than I knew when I was just a wild kid. Running in this direction and running in that direction and doing this, that, and the other thing. I know how holy life is now. I know that I exist amidst God. I am I exist amidst the light. I'm breathing in light. I'm exhaling light. I want to do the right thing. I want to harmonize all the cacophony of the world, all the discordance, all the lack of harmony. I want to reveal the oneness of God in the world. And in doing so, get rid of all war and all hunger and all hatred. How can I fix my past? But you see, if all of creation is made starting with the letter tough, the last letter of the Aleph base, as I go forward, I'm going backwards, right? Because the Torah begins with the letter Aleph, and then it goes to the letter Taf. So really, the letter Taf signifies the end. The letter Aleph signifies the beginning. But if when God made the world, he started with the letter Taf, that means that as I move forward, I can correct that which is behind me. Because God laid out the energies in a way that I can access the past through the future. That as I move forward in life and as I rectify things and as I reconnect myself and as I take all these cables that have perhaps been cut off and I reground them and I say there is a source of everything. There is a God and he does have dreams for me. And as I do reconnect, then what's happening simultaneously, not only is the present becoming more beautiful, but I'm harnessing these energies and I'm fixing the past as well. And the main way that we can do this, at a certain point, I can drive by a McDonald's. I hope, and there's nothing pulling at me saying, "Come on, you got to go and you know get get something from them, right?" I get a certain point. Hopefully, my desire for those type of things is yeah. like it's not even a reality. I'm not even thinking about it, right? At a certain point, my performance of the mitzvot themselves. You know, I don't want to say I'm perfect, but, but it's become second nature to me to, to, to do the right thing. Okay, so so now you see this second category, the realm of your personality, making yourself into art, how central and how important that is in terms of bringing the redemption. Okay, now that I've got the the outward actions down, what do I look like? Would you would you take yourself and hang yourself on the wall of the Metropolitan Museum of Art? <laughs> would people stop and look and go, Ah Awesome, awesome. I've stood in front of Van Gogh's and you would have to literally shove me, to, to move me like I am so transfixed at the beauty of it, literally. You can become that, I can become that. And how do you do it? Well, that's the story that we started with, right? Can you imagine the altar of Navardick is learning with his students? And they're trying to decide, well, should we do this? Should we not do it? And then he goes to the neighboring town, takes them all there, and they have the same discussion. And they say to him, what are you doing? We're having the same discussion here that we had back there. Why do we have to go on this whole long trip for? And he says, because there was a factor of laziness that we didn't want to make the trip. And that was affecting our clarity. And now that we removed That obstacle, we can think clearly. And they decided that they shouldn't do it. And they got in the wagon and they went back again. By putting more love in the world, by thinking about other people more, by pushing ourselves to help other people more, to be outwardly focused, to forgive, to let go, to let go of all these old resentments and hatreds. And who cares? Who cares? All the pettiness. You know, Reb Shlomo, I, I can't tell you how many times I heard him say that Just, just bemoaning the pettiness of people. Just let go. Let go. It doesn't matter. It happened so many years ago. No one cares. No one cares anymore. Just don't care. Join the club. Join the care of also not caring. And then something happens. Something happens, right? Something happens within us. A beauty starts to shine. A light starts to shine. And all of a sudden, the world becomes a more beautiful place. So, two of our greatest sages were walking I want to say it was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son. I don't know. And they were walking right as the initial rays of the sun were starting to come up into the world. And it was one ray of light and then another ray of light and then another ray of light. And they said, this is going to be how the redemption happens. One ray of light at a time. And that's each one of us. And that's each one of the rays of light that happens when we let go of negativity and start to shine. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.